It was November of 1989 when Israeli Sergeant Ze'ev Traum was patrolling the beachfront road south of Gaza City. He and another Israeli soldier were ambushed in their jeep by Palestinian gunmen. And the 40-year-old's death brought a unique dilemma for his widow. She could simply bury her husband, or she could donate his heart to an ailing Palestinian. Bittersweet revenge could be found if she denied the request and let one of them die since they killed her husband. How might you respond in a situation like that? Today's scripture passage shows several different responses to current situations. Jesus' crucifixion itself was a response of some leaders to their fears of displacement or revolution. In John 18.33, Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds to him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So that was a response of Jesus. And here in today's passage, Luke 23, Jesus responds by letting the wheels of politics turn against him. And in this kingdom, he is cruelly nailed to a cross. There are other responses about salvation, but in order to hear those better, we're going to jump back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. Because in the beginning of Luke's gospel, we had Zechariah prophesying about God raising up a mighty Savior And we have Simeon at the temple holding the young Jesus in his arms. And he says, Master, you are now, he prays, Master, you are now dismissing your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And shortly after that, Anna, another prophet, begins to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So that's chapters 1 and 2 of Luke, and here we are, the second chapter from the end. And we're looking up at, instead of at a baby being held in Simeon's arms, Jesus, as a full-grown man, has his arms extended on a cross. And leaders scoff at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. And the soldiers mock him. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then one of the criminals looks over at him and says derisively, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And one response was different. The criminal on the other cross rebuked the first, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly, 
for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. So we have quite a scene that Luke paints for us. The hill of Golgotha, the skull, bystanders, soldiers, two other criminals, and Jesus in the middle. And so the text always invites us to decide where we would place ourselves in the picture that we're given. If we were honest with ourselves and our motives, would we be bystanders waiting to see how long it would take Jesus and the two criminals to die? Would we join in the raffle for Jesus' clothes, hoping to win a swatch to sell on eBay? Would we be mocking this man for thinking he could change the climate of the world? And is there any chance that we could look up at him and see grace and forgiveness on those crosses? A man was awakened in the middle of the night by a phone call. On the other end, a frantic, sobbing girl managed to get out the words, Daddy, I'm pregnant. The man was groggy and stunned, but communicated his forgiveness and prayed with her. And the next day, he and his wife wrote their daughter two letters of counsel and love. A few excerpts are here. Though I weep inside, I can't condemn you because I sin too. Your transgression is no worse than mine. It's just different. It all comes from the same sin package you inherited through us. We're praying much. We love you more than I can say and respect you too, as always. Remember, God's love is even in this, maybe especially in this. This is a day of testing But hold our ground, we must. God will give us the victory. We're looking forward to your being at home. Love, Dad. Three days later, the man received another phone call. His daughter was shocked by the letters because she was not the one who had called. Some other distraught girl had dialed a wrong number. And yet, those words were not wasted. The letters were not wasted. Those expressions of unconditional love and forgiveness are now a treasured possession to this girl who received them. On the cross, Jesus responds with forgiveness and grace. When the sympathetic criminal calls Jesus by name as we would a friend, and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Someone wrote, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. 
but our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Jesus saves through forgiveness and grace. He disregarded whatever crimes this man had committed, which led to his open-armed position on this gruesome wooden cross. And Jesus responds, not with judgment, but with grace. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Imagine how that criminal felt when he heard Jesus' response. Maybe for a split second, the torturous pain of being crucified diminished. Maybe he felt his life of sin and regret fall away and seep into the bloody ground. Maybe he wished he now had the chance to live his life differently. There are many ways to respond to Jesus. What will ours be? Dale Carnegie told the story about Bob Hoover, who was a famous test pilot and a frequent performer at air shows. Once, when he returned to his home in Los Angeles from an air show in San Diego, both engines of his World War II propeller plane suddenly stopped. With skill and a lot of luck, he safely landed the plane without injury to himself or the other two passengers. And after the emergency landing, he inspected the airplane's fuel. As he suspected, the plane had been filled with jet fuel rather than gasoline. And he then asked to see the mechanic who had serviced his plane. And the mechanic, of course, horrified at the prospect of seeing the man he had nearly killed, anticipated the full force of Hoover's anger, But Hoover put his arm around the mechanic and he said, to show you I'm sure you'll never do this again, I want you to service my F-51 tomorrow. Somehow he knew about grace and forgiveness. We respond to God's grace and forgiveness by offering them to others. Glenn Etheridge told a story about grace from his childhood. He and Kelly Coggins were childhood friends, and one year um, Kelly's family bought a side-by-side refrigerator that had an ice-through-the-door freezer back when those were not common. And so Kelly and Glenn were drawn to this like moths to a light, and he said they would go to her house and drink Coca-Cola and over crushed ice and feel like they were living the high life. And one day, they were a little bored. And so they went to Kelly's front yard and they took some of this ice with them and they started throwing little ice pellets at the passing cars. Of course, they had no idea about how dangerous that could be. And for the most part, they were so lousy at throwing that they did no damage until they hit the car of Sarah Maxwell who was the librarian in their small town. A few minutes after they hit her car, Sarah returned to Kelly's yard, 
Kelly and Glenn took off running to hide as if Sarah did not know them and their parents and how many books they had overdue at the library. And she called out, called them out by name. Kelly, Glenn. And they stopped in their tracks and turned to face the judgment. She said, you gave me something, so I want to give you something. And with those words, she took out two pomegranates and placed one in each of their hands. And Glenn says that even as third graders, they knew that they had been touched by an angel. They knew that they had received transforming grace. And it was transforming to them. We respond to God's grace and forgiveness by offering them to others. The holidays are approaching. They are upon us, really. When families converge, when emotions run high, when cultural stressors are added to the ones that already fill our lives, we are faced with ample opportunity to release judgment and offer forgiveness and grace in its stead. Forgiveness and grace are intertwined. We do not earn God's forgiveness and grace. We can only respond to it by offering forgiveness and grace to others. Israeli Sergeant Ze'ev Traum's widow faced a unique dilemma. She could bury her husband or she could donate his heart to an ailing Palestinian. She opted to forgive. And so outside the city walls where Jesus Christ lived and walked... 54-year-old Hannah Kader, who had waited for months for a heart, received new life from his political enemy. When Zaev's widow was asked about it, she said, if it's possible to save a man's life, I think it's a mitzvah, a Jewish command, a meritorious act. In other words, Given the grace and forgiveness that she had experienced, she could not hold it. She could not keep it to herself. She recognized God's command to share that with someone, no matter who. We respond to God's grace and forgiveness by offering them to others. Let's pray. God of grace and love, look with mercy upon us who confess that we are without hope unless you come and save us. Forgive us, we pray, for choosing death over life, selfishness over generosity, pride over humility, and war over peace. We seek today to choose your way, 
and in so doing, gain the gifts of forgiveness, grace, and joy offered to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. We recognize, O God, that we cannot earn these gifts, but help us to receive them with joy and with openness and with generosity. Take us from our willful and arrogant ways and place within us a new heart ready to follow in your way whenever we have the chance to respond in your name. Amen.